Welcome to Series 11, Episode 2 of York Hospital Ball. The series now moves on to the 1980s with the loyal clubman Derek Hood, who signed at the start of that decade for £2,000. Derek was part of that incredible side under Dennis Smith that were the first team to get over 100 points in a season, as well as facing the likes of Liverpool in the FA Cup. This episode is once again sponsored by the Nearly Departed app for iPhone. If you travel by train, you need Nearly Departed. Whether you're travelling to work or to an away game, Nearly Departed will help you get there by showing live updates for your train service. The app has been carefully made by a York City supporter and is available for free in the Apple App Store. So download Nearly Departed today, ready for when you next travel by train. But without further ado, here is Series 11, Episode 2, Derek Hood. Derek, thank you so much for braving the weather and uh, and coming down to our studios here at York Hospital Radio. Lots of York City to cover, but first of all, how, how does a lad from the northeast end up starting a career at West Brom? Well, that's the the old-fashioned way that it used to be. They used to have scouts in the country at one time who would go around watching you playing school football, Saturday football even, and that's where I got picked up. I was playing for the school team, which was Washington Comprehensive at the time, and on the weekends I was playing for an under-18 team called Usworth, and that's where I got uh, scouted school holidays trips down to West Bromwich one week at a time two weeks at a time and back again and it went on from there until they eventually decided to sign me as a as an apprentice I don't think that happens now they'll have agents that do it all for them yeah <laughs> so did you have to move down there yourself yes or, yeah? yeah yeah I left school just over 16 when I left and uh, traipsed off on the train down to West Bromwich picked up by their chief scout and then esconced into what they call digs somebody else's house I was living with which were very nice people actually to look after us and tramming to and from the, the training grounds Wow like you say com- completely different time in it to um, sort of modern day football how it works with sort of apprenticeships and stuff you, you didn't play a first team game for West Brom but you were part of the squad that won the FA Youth Cup in 1976 That's correct Be- Beating Wolves 5-0 in the final I was mm-hmm. thinking if, you, if you're ever going to win anything with West Brom to beat Wolves in the final, in a probably, local derby. You know, yeah. that's the way to do it, isn't it? So that you must have a real sort of fond memory. Oh yes, yes, time. and I've still got the medal at home as well, like we won with it as well. But yeah, it was great local derby, and it was very, very surprising to me at that time. I was only seventeen, I think, of how many folk actually turned out. We were at Molyneux first, and I think there was seventeen and a half thousand there. And the return back at the Hawthorns, there was twenty two thousand in watching it. Under seventeens, under sixteen folks, and it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, must, and great to be part of, yeah. Yeah, it must have been a, a great experience. And Derek Statham, I believe, was the left back, wasn't he? That's correct, yes, yeah, and he went, went on, on to play, play for, England. for England. That's correct, yes, he yeah. did, yeah, yeah. So what was it like playing alongside him? Did you know that he would then go on and uh, well I think we would all believe we were all gonna go on from there, but you know, football's all a game of opinions and for me it didn't continue on there but for others it did the likes of Derek especially and then you had the likes of Kevin Summerfield Derek Monaghan and others who went in and played under 21 stuff you had Welsh internationals playing there as well Trenter and Matt Davis was another lad who played for the, the Welsh team so you're part of a, a decent squad of players and we had a I would say a good modicum of success there so we won the Midland Intermediate League at the time as well that I remember and other stuff yeah but it yeah. was a fantastic experience yeah you say about a lot of footballs about opinions and maybe a little bit of luck as well and you ended up leaving West Brom and joined Hull City a year later made, made your football league debut against Fulham I believe at Boothry Park what, what's your memories of that game? it was probably quite a blur to be honest with you it was a big surprise to be 
taken into the squad at that time. I can't remember how, how old I would have been then, maybe 21, something like that, 19, maybe even, I don't know. But yeah, and I, I, the, the game I do remember, or there's two games actually, was Leighton Orient away, and the following that was Tottenham Hotspur, White Hart Lane, when Hull needed a point or a win to stay up. And Tottenham needed a point or a win to get promotion back into the first division. I think I'll win the division at least. And they got a goal that was a bit controversial and it caused chaos. And all I remember doing was squatting on the park, trying to dodge all the fans that were running on to celebrate. <laughs> well, we'll come on to a few controversial goals later on as well. Maybe about, about Liverpool. I think I'm right in saying as well, Billy Bremner was a teammate of yours at Hull He City, was at Hull City, he? yes he was, yeah. What he was, was he never like? passed to me. He liked to keep the ball himself quite a lot. Right. He was a nice man, really nice man. Yeah, and it was good to do and have another experience you know with a guy who was well experienced in the football world at that time and Hull were relegated like you mentioned there down to Division 3 and I think it was quite a youthful side as well that you were part on do, do you look back on that time fondly then or was it a difficult period in your football career well I think it was just a period in my football career I just kind of work with what's in front of me on a, like a day to day basis etc this is where I want to be this is where I'm at and if somebody's come along which eventually they did Mike Smith came in and decided I wasn't to be part of his squad which only Hull with my terminology of it's a game of opinions and subsequently then I, I was moved to York City which would be February 1980 that's correct yes mm. for, the, for the pricey sum of £2,000 and I didn't know if it was a big, bigger signing on fee for you to go to York City back then or? I, I was totally irrelevant of what the figures were that <laughs> didn't matter to me I was going to play football for somebody else and, and that was it I was going to ask you there was, was it you were sorting after sort of more first team regular football really at that point in your that, that decision itself at Hull City was the manager's decision he'd not long been in post and I'm sure he'd taken advice off other people who had been there a lot longer and I was just one that was going to be surplus to his requirements so getting another club was important to me York City came along I don't believe anybody else did, but it's been beneficial, beneficial to me and also, I hope, to York City themselves as well. Absolutely. And you made your debut versus uh, Halifax Town in a 2-2 draw, and I think you scored in the next game at home to Portsmouth. Did you feel like you were kind of at home straight away then at Booth yeah, and Crescent? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love Booth and Crescent. You know, I believe it was an evening match as well, if I think right now, and there's nothing better, especially when it's a cold, frosty night, and then floodlights are on, and you're up and down the wing, getting in and out. It was a great atmosphere. And that that kind of kept me in place really yeah, I'm happy here it suits me fine and I seem to have been taken in by the fans as well I mean you'd go on to play in such a golden era for the club but I was looking back on those early days for you that 1980-81 season I think they came rock bottom of the football league the last game of the season was against Northampton Town in front of 1,167 people which I think is still a record low attendance for the club I know there was better times obviously that came around the corner but that must have been a real tough slog really and I was thinking from yourself you'd gone from that successful FA Cup winning environment like you say thinking you might have been able to play at a high level and, and then going to a club that needed to sort of apply for re-election we, we sort of seen football at two ends of the spectrum by this point in your career well I just like to say I talk to you accept things as you go along and that was our fate at the time and the only good thing about that was the club were in such a, a, a good position and well respected I believe that they were through the panel re-elected back to the league so we had to start from scratch again we were part of a team that ended up last which is not a good feeling and then 
things started stepping forward after that, you know. It took a little while, but we eventually got there. Squads change, you know, managers come in and had try different things, do different ways. And we ended up with a successful little period when Dennis Smith came along as a, well, he was on loan, I think, for a little while as a player coach and then eventually took the job and we had the success we did for that short period of time. Yeah, well, I've got here sort of, thankfully, 81-82 was much better for the club. And for you personally as well, I think you were ever-present. You scored eight goals that season, assumed penalty duties as well. How did you get on penalties? Well, I'm just a believer of pick your spot and hit it hard. I don't like to see all this jiggery-pokery that they're trying to do nowadays to fool keepers this and fool keepers the other. Pick your spot, hit it hard, pace will win out. Yeah. And most of the time it did for me. I did miss a few, but, you know, keep the guest right and got it, got a good hand on it. Unlucky. How did you get on to being the penalty taker with there being other strikers, you know, being strikers at the club? How, how did you get ahead of them? I, don't know. I, I presumed I had the most bottle at the time to say, yeah, I'll do it. Because <laughs> you do get some strikers who, yeah, they love scoring goals and they like the trickery, but they don't like standing one-on-one at a penalty. And they're just scared to do it. So yeah, I'll do it. So that's what I did. And after I'd missed one, I'd still step up and take the next one. It's just what you had belief in yourself to do. Yeah, a lot of self-belief. I think Keith Walwyn had signed that summer as well. Arguably York City's best ever player, I think. And did you sort of, again, when you saw him in training for the first time, did you sort of feel like he would go on and have a career that he had? Um, well, you would expect a lot from Keith because of the size he was. You know, he's a big lad. He came from the Chesterfield hierarchy and they were always big believers in having tall, strong players. And Keith was. You could not knock him off the ball at all. And he was great for the club because he could hold the ball up for us with his colleague at and Johnny Byrne. Great pairing, mm. absolutely. And then the midfield could get in and around it. And I think that's what Dennis built it on, you know, to get midfielders forward beyond them if necessary. And then, then Keith just knocking everybody about. And, and Dennis had this, I think I think it was Andy Leaning who told me that Dennis had this thing of young against old in training. And so you, you would have been on Keith Warwin's team, weren't you, in the, in the five-a-sides and stuff like well, that? Well, yeah, well, I'd only been, what would I have been, 24, something like that. Yeah, so you could class me as young if you like. <laughs> um, but as footballers go, like, they've got good experience now at 24. But yeah, attack v defence, it's all part and parcel of the training programme, you know. And to be up against him, you'd only bounce off him. That's all it was. But I'm glad it was them bouncing off him rather than me on a daily basis. But what was he like as a, as a person? Great guy. Yeah, yeah, lovely fella. Really, really nice guy, yeah. yeah. And such a shame that he ended up with the problems he had and subsequently passed away too early, far too early. Yeah, definitely. 1982, 1983, again, ever-present again in, in the team. A rare feat, really, particularly for modern-day players. You don't see many players who play every single game of the season like you did for two consecutive years and you won Clubman of the Year as well. I think 52 games that, that year, nine goals. Part of a team that's got 88 goals as well came seventh in Dennis Smith's first season you, you must have looked back on that season really fondly again and you know you really your stats there are, are, are really good yeah well, I'm, I wasn't a statistician I was aware I'd played every game goal scored appearances etc there's nothing to me really because all I was interested in team sheet for Tuesday or team sheet for Saturday and let us get out there and hopefully do the business yeah I'll, I'll keep the stats then yeah <laughs> <laughs> I remember I'm 40 years down the line there's a lot yeah, going yeah. missing upstairs now you know okay. 65 in four weeks three weeks time sorry I'll try, try filling the gaps for mm. you you were playing so many different positions as well I mean this is for me I, I'm you know I didn't see you play I was too young but looking back at it I mean you were perceived this sort of utility man again a term probably more associated with that time period but I noticed in your time at Booth and Crescent you wore 
so many different numbers and these were obviously associated to positions you were playing uh, potentially again a club maybe a club record you wore number two three four five six eight ten eleven plus twelve and thirteen i mean was it your choice to be this sort of versatile player or what was your best position i think i was just a guy who was be willing to help out if that's what the team needed and bear in mind we didn't have large squads like you've got yeah. nowadays so you can mix and match like they could i think we had at most a squad of 15 so back in the day there was only one sub allowed eventually two and that's all we were working with so if somebody was injured you had to fill in yeah I'll go across there I'll go play left back I'll stand in for centre half and I've obviously done okay because I felt I could uh, cope with it and the club did as well at the same time especially the manager you have a preferred position now having said um, all that well I, I was signed as a right back Right. Which that's then progressed to midfield. Midfield was fine because you could get involved in doing your defensive duties and allowing you to get a bit further forward up the field and score a few goals, which you've already alluded to. Eight one season, nine another. I think there was 36 in total, I believe. Might be 38, I don't know. A couple of own goals if you want them on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on, on to 1983-84, what, what an incredible campaign for the club. 101 points, first team to ever do that. But a season which you, you played the first game of the season but then missed the next 10, that must have been really difficult for you and frustrating after being an ever-present for the previous two years yeah absolutely yeah and in the manner in which it happened uh, I believe it was August the 30th playing Grimsby in the cup it blew them and I happened to be I think I was right midfield at the time I dropped back into the right back spot and I'd passed the ball about 15-20 yards to Gary Ford and my cartilage came out and I was keeled over it was locked in place and ended up carried off that's something I had to suffer I wouldn't say the club suffered because we had other people who could step in and do that but when you were starting to gather pace as, as a good side was then at that time your thought is will I ever get back in again yeah, how with, quickly, with a small squad like yes, you said as how, well how quickly can you get back in and I spent uh, a fair amount of time in casualty I think two days in total with me knee in a, a locked position before it was eventually operated on but which was good in one respect and bad in another bad for the injury bad for the club but good for me because I actually met my wife at that particular time and uh, we had both here now 40 years down the line must have been fake. absolutely absolutely yeah you and did, glad of it as well yeah yeah you, you did really well obviously then to get back I didn't realise the extent of that injury to get back within 10 games yeah, is, is was, pretty, yeah, pretty I think, impressive I think I was probably I think I played a game in the reserves after five five and a half weeks and then uh, maybe a week later I was I was back in the first team squad and back playing again and to play again in that side as well it must have been a, a real pleasure to be part of I mean probably not just playing but training as well with with the sort of confidence around those players I mean every player I've, I've spoken to who, who played in that era said that they just went out and expected to win every week and, that's correct and yeah just, we had a mindset yeah, yeah, yeah. that we were never going to get beat you know starting the right manner will not get beat we had poor games occasionally but we got away with it and I think that's the sign of a good squad and a team over the year that you're going to get a little purple patch which where things don't go like you want them really to but we would scrap a draw or we'd get another win out of something you know and generally we were all doing the same thing. We were there for the same thing, looking for each other, looking after each other, on and off the pitch. And that's where we all just seemed to gel. And what was it that Dennis did, and, and, and even Viv Busby as well, who I, I imagine had such a key role as well. What, what did they do to sort of transform that club so dramatically? Because like I said earlier, you know, you were there when it was it was pretty rock bottom, yeah. really. And mm -hmm. we're only talking a, a year or two later that things have really gone gone the way up and just the opposite end of, of the spectrum yeah well, my belief is that the, the likes of Dennis and uh, Viv who came in alongside him were giving respect to you as a person and a player so if you're getting somebody who's giving you respect you're going to give them respect back which they got you know big style Dennis was the technician effectively very much mindset with tactics and stuff like that Viv was the motivator 
out on the park on the training course and it would be good fun so you'd want to go there you'd want to be there you'd actually want to stay there but it worked absolutely brilliant as a pairing them two they were the, that was the best manager I worked for in my career yeah. was Dennis Smith and then I think it's as well like it was his first job as well wasn't it and he, and he probably wasn't much older than the players was he so to sort of yeah. get that respect off the players yeah. was really impressive as well well I think he it? was doing his homework when he came on loan he, he'd obviously made a plan of trying to get into management because he was at the end of his career as such and uh, as he, when he was driving up to come in he actually came via where I was living and he would pick me up and take us into coaching and drop me off and go that way on so you got a bit of an idea of what he was like and his thought process and it was all positive really was positive so when he stepped forward to be the manager that for me was an easy transition he knew what he wanted he knew what he was talking about and it proved it over the three three four years that he was there absolutely and clearly you played with some brilliant players alongside you as well like the likes of John Byrne you mentioned earlier John McPhail Ricky Sprager Gary Ford Brian Pollard Sean Hazelwood so you know the list is endless isn't it of, of those players that played in that kind of time frame what was it like to play alongside those and, and anyone in particular that, that sort of stands out from that, that era well skill level wise I think Johnny Byrne was, was fantastic but everybody had a skill that was beneficial to the team and what that was was teamwork yeah you know we all appreciated that John McPhail one of the best centre halves playing at our leagues at that level he'd never miss a ball in the air and he could distribute it very very well as well and stop the forwards at the same time rubbed off for Ricky Sprazier no nonsense Scottish chappy still friend with Ricky now we, we see each other quite a lot various functions that we get mixed in with and what have you but you wouldn't get past him very well neither you know and that's what you do you could build your confidence on that saying well if you slipped up in midfield somebody's going to pick up around you and that just seemed to be part of the squad uh, ethos if you like yeah and, and you mentioned earlier touched upon it a little bit there that, that sort of you were close knit and, and I think team spirit was obviously really important but well. it's alright yeah. having brilliant players but you've all got to sort of get yeah. on and to have that teamwork you have. ethic like you say you, you kind of need to trust each other and I, I think the Bootham Tavern sounds like that was a place where oh we'd have very, <laughs> we'd have we'd have quite a lot of fictitious birthdays made up by the manager we'd have a training session and then right we're planning on maybe I'll go pick some up and we're going to do some of the manager would come in saying whose birthday is it today it's yours and he would be pointing at Sean Hazelgrave for instance yeah so we all had to go for a beer and that was half part is parcel of kind of building a team spirit keeping us all together so we all did stuff together and it wasn't for very long you know you're out an hour or two or something like that great thing yeah i think i built a lot of team spirit for us that did and, and another sort of character i know i know he didn't play but the groundsman fuzzy oh brian well, what's what's your kind of memories of him and any sort of stories you can share with us uh, well the only one i was i was told of this actually as well like the keeper eddie blackburn one day was trying to wind him up on the pitch Fozzie didn't want you on his pitch and he got that upset he got the pitchfork out and tried throwing it at him he didn't get it very far to get anywhere near him like but he was do not touch my grass you know lovely fellow though really really nice man <laughs> and, and you, you scored in the final home game of the season against Bury which whenever I watch pitches sort of from that, that time period it sort of gives me goosebumps watching it you know that, that Bury game where all the fans are sort of around the outside and spilling onto the pitch again it must have been such a f- great feeling to kind of play in a game like that knowing that you know you're going up and, and winning it right. instantly in front of yeah, your fans yeah, I remember to get the trophy think, that day I think at the time I'd, uh, Dennis had put me out on loan to Lincoln at that particular time and uh well, he, he brought that back within a week early, I think it was, and put me into the squad with the game against Berry. And I, I remember, I think it was a curling a free kick into the top corner to make it 3-0. That was a great feeling. And the crowd, the noise you get and the, the surge, what comes from it is a real adrenaline rush. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. And then the following season, you, you were a little bit in and out of the side and missed out on the iconic FA Cup game against Arsenal. Was, was that a challenge for you to sort of watch from the sidelines? Oh, yeah, Definitely. 
yeah, any any player would tell you the same. You either hadn't been picked or you'd been injured and not quite fit enough. I think mine would have been, I probably wasn't picked for the squad that particular time. But bear in mind, I'd had two further operations, I think, on my knee and things were starting to wear out a little right, bit. Okay. And uh, But yeah, but all the same, I'm part of the squad, a part of that team. And it was a fantastic win, really was. Yeah. And of course, the reward for that was to play Liverpool in the next next round. And you played in that one, you were back in the team and the pitch was obviously a bit, little bit of a leveller. But when I interviewed Dennis Smith, he, he said that, and I was surprised at this, he said that really you focused on York City. You didn't focus on Liverpool, sort of preparing for them and, mm-hmm. and sort of putting a plan in place for, mm-hmm. say, the quality players that they had. But you just focused on yourselves because you were that confident in kind of what, what you guys That's did. Right. He had a belief that if we're doing it his way and we continue to do the right things for him, we were beating people left, right and centre. So why couldn't we have a go at Liverpool and do that. We got the 1-1 draw. That one there, Craig Johnson, climbed all over Stevie Senior. They got the goal. That should have been a free kick. We all know that. You know, that's history. Even Craig Johnson said that himself. And that subsequent year, they won the trophy. But he said in the programme, we were beaten at York City. Yeah. But uh, we had to go do the replay, unfortunately. It must have been a great experience for you to, to test yourself against those sort of players as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. They're iconic people, the best team in the land at that particular time. Yeah, I mean, they passed it forever. They mourned quite a lot while they were on the park. One particular person in particular, Kenny Dalglish. And I, I didn't have a set to him. I just told him to shut up. I'm sick of you mourning. Just far better than us anyway. Just get on with it, mm. you know. The pitch is the pitch. We're all got to do the same thing, like, you know. But absolutely, you had them all. The John Walks, you jumped your brushes and what have you. It was fabulous. Great feeling. Did Kenny Dalglish say anything back to you when you told him to shut <laughs> no, up? No, no, no. I was a little bit bigger than him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the following year, you played in both the Liverpool Cup ties as well. And obviously, there was a controversial penalty that they got a Boven Crescent. And then Keith Walwyn having the goal disallowed at, at Anfield, where oh, that was so there, there was no kind of TV cameras picked it up. But yeah. everyone I've spoken to, whether it's a, a player, manager, fan from that game, even mm. the Liverpool players admit that really it shouldn't have been disallowed. Gary when I spoke to him you could tell he was still angry about it well we, we so all are years yeah old. we all are I've got my wife with me in the back of the studio there and she was dead in line with it up in the stand she tells me and it was never a foul at all whatsoever and we could see that on the pitch but again maybe that was the start of feigning injuries and diving yeah. scenarios coming along and what have you in between them Gillespie and Grobelard decided it was a foul the referee decided the same but for us it was a goal done yeah. and dusted and we, we would have been further on than where we were. Whereabouts were you on the pitch when that went in? I think what, I was, was left side. View? I was left side midfield, and Keith had we'd got it across the side to the right. I think and Keith broke through past their kind of line of defence. I think they're trying to play a tight line, and uh, he's a big lad. He can he can get across the ground pretty quickly and got between them both. Slid in what I believe was fairly. He probably on the edge of the box by that time. He chipped it across the far side of goal and he just bounced in the corner like and that was done. But we ended up with Mr. Grobelar with what seemed to be a broken arm and Gillespie with a broken leg and all of a sudden the lines and flagging for a, a free kick so yeah you could put me in the likes of Gary Ford's round there like yeah I'm really peeved that we, we didn't get the goal that we deserved at that time what was the dressing room like after the game were you, were you all just deflated and flat or were you angry what What was the well you, you, you've got all those emotions you know you've had a good go we've gone to extra time eventually um, and you think right it didn't really need to go to extra time because we'd actually won the game but you know it, eventually you've got to accept where it is because nobody's going to go change it anymore yeah. But we can still talk, and I'm 40 years down the line now, and I'm still peeved about it. And it's always going to be that way. And for the fans, even more so. Because I guess in context, given that the club had lost 7-0 there the previous year, if someone had said to you before the game, or 
you'll go on and lose 3-1 after extra time you, you would have taken that before the game wouldn't you? you'd think well that, that sounds like a good effort compared yeah, to the yeah, previous year yeah, but, yeah, but given the way that it all panned out yeah can... three's better than seven you could say like, yes. you know yeah but you know you're playing at an iconic stadium full of people 46 and a half thousand both times such a fantastic atmosphere and they were very appreciative audience as well you know alright the first year we got stuff seven we had a better goal the second year and we got 3-1 in extra time again Fan, their fans really appreciated that of us and our efforts and I hope our fans did as well at the same time and playing in front of a cop as well that must have been you know as, yeah. a, as a football player I imagine mm-hmm. a real bucket list sort of yeah, tick yeah. off isn't it really I, I, saving I've, you've done that is I, incredible I'm, I'm from the old school I, I still believe we, we, we could have um, standing enclosures and that full of people stood is a phenomenal thing to see and let alone here really really good you get a buzz yourself about that you pick up a bit of adrenaline from it and I try and use it in my own benefit well they're shouting for me they're shouting for us come on let's go have a go yeah, and did you touch a sign when you went out? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody saw me, I don't think. Like, or would it have mattered, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Kenny Dalgleish might have said something if he'd have seen you. <laughs> Probably still still in the uh, the dugout or in the uh, the boot room yes. having a cup of tea. In 1987, you, you were given a free transfer by Yoxie, and I believe you wrote to every single club in Division 2 and 3, offered a trial by Plymouth, which is... A fair old trek, but ended up staying at York City under Bobby Saxon and, and made captain. Just talk us through that sort of process. Uh, it's not something I'm aware of that, actually, Dan. Isn't it? No, no, I just never heard that I'd written to any clubs anywhere. I think wow. what happens is, or maybe you've got the the kind of the system wrong or such, that the club puts your name out there on a kind of background system, if you like, where these people are becoming available and they used to get a list of who was available at whatever club, not just me solely at York City. Other people who were being thought of as required, not anymore, would go on that list. It's not me personally who d- did those letters. I'll show you the website where I've got this off. Oh, is that right? And I can oh, okay. write to them and tell them. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the time, I couldn't write. I would have just learned. <laughs> so, so, no, I, I, that's something I was unaware of, but I, I was aware that clubs do produce a list of surplus to requirement players, yeah. and then that gets spread around whatever leagues. Yeah. Were you disappointed to be released in 1987 after what you'd done? I think you've got to be honest with yourself at the end of the day. I'd had, I think three big operations on my knee and I think at the end of 87 actually I was advised medically to to retire which actually happened in 1988 anyway so I knew I was getting towards the end of what I could be useful for the club at that respect where I'd be going to be injured more than I was going to be playing it didn't make sense with the small squad scenarios so I was becoming to realize that I'd, I'd met Sue my wife now and at the time she had a daughter so it's now become my stepdaughter I had another life to think of yeah. and another two people to take care of so it was I was advised medically to, to stop playing football and if I hadn't taken that advice I'd have probably been a cripple before I was 35 that was the advice I was given yeah. so I made the decision in 88 that that was it and I've just gone on from there yeah because I think you were, you were the only one left I think from that championship winning team as well three years before so in that final season you were at York it was, it was quite understandable why they struggled wasn't it because I think Bobby Saxton only had a couple of players signed on and yeah the club was left you know with uh, a, a, well, not very much of a squad and it had to be made up probably very quickly so Bobby was trying to do a, a tough job in a tough situation along with me being injured as well it wasn't really helping at the same yeah. time you know but yeah when clubs do swing changes like that it does affect the performance levels I believe my own thoughts are when clubs have issues at the top of the tree it always transposes itself to the park of play so there's confusion there's worry there's all sorts so therefore the play doesn't happen and until they get that sorted then you don't see the progress yeah. How difficult was it to, to retire at 29? I mean, when it's a decision taken out of your hands, that, 
and the second to that, you know, how difficult was the transition out of football? Because that's kind of all you'd known to that point, wasn't it? You but, mentioned there yeah. you were a schoolboy, yeah. went to West Brom, had, had a great career in football, but then at 29, you're not making the money that Premier League players would make now and, and you know, can just see out the rest yeah, of their yeah, days. You've yeah, got to yeah. go get a job, haven't you? Yeah, you got to get in the real right. world. Yeah, you've got to get into the real world, absolutely. Now, I had a good reason to get into the real world because of Sue my life yeah. now and uh, our daughter Julie as well at the same time so I had a family to look after so you got to hit realism with yourself and I've gone and written for jobs and interviews and wherever I've worked I've worked in kitchen factories I've worked driving public service buses and I've not been scared of work and that's just the reality of it you know some folk need football to live in, in whatever shape or form that suits them I was quite happy that I'd succeeded at my level, with my mind, I was quite happy with everything I'd got and where I'd been, that I could step away and move on in my life. And that's where I'm at now, 40 yeah. years down the line. I'm now now retired and not doing anything. It's, it's a great mentality to have, isn't it? Because I, th- I think you're right. I think a lot of footballers do struggle with that because they... And, and you could have quite easily sort of said, you know, having the euphoria of playing at Anfield, for example, and all that that goes with it mm-hmm. and, and the highs of football mm-hmm. to, to then being the jobs that you said there you know complete contrast aren't they and, and, and you could sort of really struggle with that but it's a great mentality to think no I've just got to get on with it and I've got a family and, and I've got to yeah correct yeah well given the fact that I had I think three operations in total I had a fourth after I'd finished playing We'll come to that in a bit, maybe. So I was kind of getting my mind schooled in, oh, this ain't going to last forever, my knee's not going to last forever. How can I keep pushing myself so long, so long? And reality hits, you've got to kind of look at yourself. And when you're then asked medically to retire because it's not going to be good for your health, then that's where you've got to say to yourself, yep, I need to get in the real world and move on. And I'm quite happy with that. You were granted a testimonial by the club, and I believe Ian Botham played in your... Uh, We had Ian Botham come to kick the game off, yes. (laughs) Um, He couldn't actually play because he'd not long had a back operation. Right. You know, it was when he was struggling with that at the time. So he kindly came along uh, through some other friends of ours uh, who he was part and parcel of. And he did a great job for us. It was fantastic. And we had a great night. The testimonial was only one game. It was the game and one other function. It wasn't a whole year of things because I hadn't quite quite made the 10 years kind yeah. of barrier if you like you know I was more than happy with how it went and more than happy with what the club allowed me to do it was fantastic I'm very grateful of Ian and some of those other friends who came along to enjoy the night it was a fantastic night over 300 games and you mentioned over 30 goals as well not bad for £2,000 is it for York I think they've got their money's worth what, what would be your favourite game and your favourite goal there's such a lot I had the goal against uh, Portsmouth in my second game the debut against Halifax which was a good match probably the goal against Bury when I came back off loan off, off Lincoln and sticking that in the top corner as well quite remember that others I was probably just in the right place at the right time and it maybe bounced off me without me controlling it but there we go. You could have had one other goal as well, uh, one more goal to that collection. Graham, Graham Crawford tells me that he saved one of your penalties. Oh, he did, yes. He second-guessed me there, he did, yeah. And he keeps reminding me about that. Every time we have the, the charity golf that we do every July up at Pike Hills, he, he keeps a big smile about that one, like, yeah. So I was kind of one for, I've said earlier, you know, pick your pot, pick your spot, hit it hard, hoping that he'd dive and he didn't, he just stayed where he was and he just kept it out, like, you know, so... Good luck to him. It was really good of him to do that. Not good for me, of course, because I didn't even get the re- rebound. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned about having the fourth in the operation. You said you wanted to... Yes, uh, it was when, I'd, when I'd left the game and where was I working? I think I was at the kitchen factory at uh, Thorpe Arch. I can't remember what, what the name of the company was. But I was struggling to bend my knee and, and run around. So the subsequent uh, medical opinion was that I needed an operation on it again. And what they did was a femoral osteotomy. And to do that, so you've got to bear in mind, no cartilage, bits of bone missing. The knee was bone on bone. So they took a wedge of 
bone out of my femur, the lower end of my femur, and twisted the knee, upper compartment of the knee, put a metal plate in to support that to create the gap where the cartilage used to be. And that was done in 1990 and I then had the plate taken out in 92 because it was impinging how I was walking and I've been fine with me ever since which has enabled me to carry on with my life with my family play golf yeah. two or three times a week now and I'm quite glad of that because the chap who did it Mr DeBurr only told me it might last 12 years or 15 and right. I'm now 40 30 odd years down the line with it and quite happy with it like you know very good to hear you recently came back to york city as well and you were a guest of the the club at hospitality you got a fantastic reception it was sort of someone held a, a sign up in the crowd for you as well didn't they well, i didn't spot that you no. didn't spot yeah, that yeah, yeah I'm, I'll, I'll find it for you and right. I'll send it to you but it must have been great to be back at the club well and, I, and I have a i do have an affinity with the fans at york city and, it, and my belief is that they've got a great background set of fans at York City. I came along in 1980 and I think we were getting 1800 but that 1800 have stayed with York City all of this time in the good times in the bad times and we've been really below where we are and now we look at the new stadium and there was what was I think there was nearly 4,000 there against Oxford we had nearly 7,000 last night against Wigan sorry Friday night against Wigan and that background support is absolutely fantastic for this club and I'm I really appreciative of it and still am to this day. Do you get to watch your very often then are you are you a regular visitor? I, I, I get asked across uh, maybe once a year because if I come as a guest too often they're hearing the same things and seeing the yeah, same things course, on, on yeah. a regular basis but there is a lot of squads of players who they can invite as well at the same time so my last visit as you quite rightly said was Oxford and it was a good game to come to actually we had a goal world class goal scored for the first goal yeah, after two Holden, minutes yeah. it, was oh, it was superb yeah and I, I did watch the game Friday night and I thought we had a, a good go at uh, Wigan to say the two leagues above us and it took a long while to get on top of us and it was only a, a mistake by the centre-half trying to pinch a ball in the wrong area that let the guy slip through because he was an experienced centre-forward and that's what undid us then otherwise I think we'd have had another replay Yeah, and fingers crossed you know, that the, the club are on an upward trajectory now and, and maybe they can emulate some of the achievements yeah, you guys had Absolutely, my, my statement earlier on about get things right at the top that settles things down at the bottom and then the club moves forward not only with the playing, but with the uh, the management side as well at the same time. And I hope uh, the new manager, Mr. Ardley, yeah. is uh, getting his head round it and the players are starting to respond to him, which they certainly seem to against Oxford and against Wigan as well. Well, thank, thanks so much, Derek, for, for giving up your time. I hope you've enjoyed going over your memories. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Massive thank you there to Derry Cudd for giving up his time to speak to us and, and coming to York Hospital Radio Studios. It's always really nice to do interviews face to face and uh, Derek was an absolute gentleman and really loved hearing his stories and, and what a great career he had at York City. Pretty good value, I would say, for, for £2,000 spent. Also, big shout out to his grandkids, Charlie, Molly and Will, who had, had experience of teaching many years ago. I'd like to say when I had hair, but probably... Probably wasn't the case. But yeah, really great kids and uh, it was really nice to hear from Derek how well they're doing now. So a big shout out to us. As ever, if you enjoy these podcasts, please do consider helping us. We're a charity, York Hospital Radio. If you can leave any comments, if you've enjoyed the interviews, it, it kind of spreads the word a little bit to other people who might be interested in listening to them. Any reviews that you could put on iTunes or, you know, for Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us. Give us a rating on Spotify if you've listened on, on that platform. That would be great. And as ever, you know, you can donate to us, justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Literally any donation is, is gratefully received. 
involved and or if you want to sponsor a future episode please do do get in touch Next week's episode is going to be moving on to the 90s. So we've covered the 80s there with Derek Hood. Next week's the 90s with Neil Tolson, uh, a fantastic striker for York City back in the 90s. Played a massive part when York City knocked Everton out of the, the League Cup in 1996. Got some great stories, really lovely guy. And I'm sure people really, really enjoy listening to it. And again, even if you didn't see Neil play, if you're a kind of younger listener, I think understanding York City's history is, is really, really important. And, and hopefully people will find that with, with these interviews in this series. But yeah, working our way through the decades and uh, next time out, it's the 90s. So uh, thanks again for listening. See you next time.